welcome to the Connection Church Dublin Sermon Podcast. Our mission is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus. One of the ways we do that is through the preaching of God's Word, centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's this week's message. What's going on, everybody? My name's AJ, and I serve as a youth pastor and missions pastor here at Connection Church Dublin. And if you've been coming to our church, you've been coming to any of our campuses, you know that everything we do here is centered around connecting people to a growing relationship with Jesus. And man, has that been happening. For the last three weeks in a row, we've seen people get baptized and take their next step in their relationship with Jesus. And I just want to celebrate for a second. This past week, I ran across a dear brother of mine, a dear friend of mine, and we began to meet, we began to read the Word of God. And, and I just remember talking to him in this conversation, and there was things that we were talking about. And one of the things, he was, he was thirsty, he was searching and when, but we got done reading 1 John chapter 1, and by the time we got done with that meeting, I asked him, I said, hey, I said, hey bro, I said, what is God doing to your heart? I said, because I can tell he's speaking to you, and when God is moving, you can just feel it working in your soul, and you just know it. And he told me, he says, AJ, I got to make a decision, and I want to make a decision today. So in his classroom at Dublin Middle School, I said, you want to do it here, brother? You want to do it in the hallway? And as we go out in the hallway and we grab hands, we begin to pray, he asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of his life. Can we celebrate? Let me tell you something, man. I just remember he looked at his watch and he says, AJ, he says, May 24th, 2022, he said, my life has changed forever. I ain't got a thirst no more. I said, ain't that a testimony right there? That's to let you know a boy got saved, saved, ain't it? And man, what an exciting time for our church in this community. You know, there is something happening. There are God bringing people here to Dublin, Georgia. There's new pastors coming in. I've witnessed other churches in this community baptizing a slew of people. And I believe we're truly starting to see revival in this community. But I believe to be good stewards of this revival, we got to be a place that we're not worried about everybody coming here to this church. No, we should come bring them in, raise them up. But I believe we should be a church that is well sent and sending people off into this community. And just a real recap, last week we had our church planter from Richmond Hill, Patrick O'Toole, comes, and he's going to be planting our seventh church, a church plant. And one of the things he talked about last week was 2 Timothy verse 4, chapter 2, verse 4, he says, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather, it said, tries to please his commanding officer. And with that being said, as a Christian, as I heard him preach, he said, we should not be caught up in the things of this world. We should remember the mission that our commanding officer gave us from heaven, and we should align our lives to that purpose alone. But I tell people all the time, you got to recognize exactly what he preaches, that we are in a battle. This life is not a vacation, and we just hoard a bunch of stuff to ourselves. But no, we got to realize that we are waging war. But part of that is you got to understand that who you are waging war against. I think a lot of people are fighting, but they don't know who the enemy is. But I'm here to tell you that you fight an enemy that is Satan, and he exists to kill, steal, and destroy. And one of the things he will do is he will take whole churches and get us off track of the mission that God created us for and get us stuck on ourselves. And get this world revolving around us. Forgive me. I'm here to tell you today, the newsflash, this life isn't about you. It's about Jesus and what he's done for us and what we should do with this message that's living inside of us. That same mission that he gave Mary when he rose from the dead, he told her to go. Then he goes to the disciples and he says, as the Father has sent me, he says, now I am sending you. We should be passionate about the things that God is passionate about. But Satan, that dang old Satan, he exists to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to distract you from that. And one of the things he said that how, how Satan distracts us from that is by the lust of the eyes and lust of the flesh. I us get all these things for myself. Let me make this high tops bracket. I want to make all the money forgetting that it's not about us. Once we recognize that Satan is our enemy, we must begin to understand how do you battle him. And one of the things he talked about is that you battle Satan by the word of God. 
You battle it by hitting on your knees and praying and interceding for your brothers and sisters and for yourself, for God to help you in your own spiritual battles. And one of the things I heard by a pastor named Recap Gray, two weeks, late, two weeks ago I was listening to a sermon, and he said something that would have fell right into that sermon. He said, a weak fellowship with the Savior leads to a weak fight against sin. A weak fellowship with the Savior leads to a weak fight against sin. Church, you have to understand. We have to understand. We have to spend intimate time with our Savior. He's the one that overcame. He's the one who will overcome. He's the one that overcame and will overcome. And that's how we are to be a church well sent, by spending intimate time with God, devoting our life to his mission, his purposes, his plan for our life, and we must go and go to this community. Well, today... We're going to be in a a passage that I love so much. We're going to be in Acts chapter 12, verse 25 through 13, verse 3. I'll give you time to flip in your Bible. For some of you, you're probably the technology guy and you flip on your phone. But I'll give you a chance to get there. We're going to be in Acts chapter 12, verses 25 through chapter 13, verse 3. And we'll probably jump around to, to one more passage during this sermon. It'll be in Acts chapter 11, but I'll let you know when we get there. But I want you to understand something today, that the local church... The church here in Dublin, the local church in this community is responsible for sending. We're not hoarding. We're not hoarding believers to ourselves, but no, we must be sending. Not simply God bless us, but God allows your blessing to flow through us on the way to the ends of the earth. So let's read this passage for today. Chapter 12, verse 25. It says, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, it says they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark, And now in the church at Antioch, there are prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius of Serene, Manon, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. It says, and while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, it says, the Holy Spirit said, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Let us pray, church. Mm, Dear Heavenly Father God, we just come to you right now. God, I pray that your presence will rest in this place right now, Father God. God, we talk about the mission of the church that you created, Father God, that we will see this life is not about us, but God, that is about you and your mission going forth to the nations, Father God. So God, I pray for every seat in this room, that every distraction that be on the mind of our people, God, I pray that it would flee, and I pray that we have an open heart and open mind ready to receive a word from you. Holy Spirit, I need you right now, God. I know in of myself I can't do it. So, God, would you speak through me? And, God, would you download it in my heart, God? If there's anything in this sermon that, that I shouldn't say, God, I will skip over. But if there's something that you want your people to hear that's not in here, God, would you give it to me? I ask all these things in your precious holy name, I pray. Amen. Well, the main part of the sermon today will be, church, that if we don't be the local church here, we won't have anyone to send over there. The local church is responsible for sending. So with that, we're going to roll into my first point. If you're taking notes, we're going to answer this question. Where did the church in Antioch come from? We're talking about the church in Antioch in the scripture, but to understand the church in Antioch, we must understand where this church came from. So the first thing I want you to know about this church plant is, is that Antioch was a church plant. Antioch was a church plant. So to understand this, we must look back at Acts chapter 11. Just flip one page over. And let's go to Acts chapter 11, verse 19. And this leads us to, to research and to study and to dive into an event that started a movement in the church. And if I heard it said it once, I've heard it said a thousand times. Church is a movement of people. And if we aren't moving, then we probably aren't part of the movement. 
Church is not a building or a service, but yet a movement of people. Acts chapter 11 says, Now those who have been scattered by the persecution, Acts chapter 11 verse 19, those who have been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. It says, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And it says that the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people turned to the Lord. So one of the first things we see in this passage is that the church in Antioch arose out of persecution. And then the people that began to scatter, they planted a church in Antioch. They were scattered out of persecution. And one of the things the persecution, one of the things that started that persecution was the stoning of a leader in the early church. So think about this right here. Where did this leader come from? I'm going to talk about the guy named Stephen. If you've been coming to church any time, you probably know who Stephen was. Well, back in the book of Acts, it said that the Holy Spirit fell, and Peter went and preached a message on the day of Pentecost, and it says that 3,000 people were saved. Then you go to Acts chapter 2, and it keeps saying that the Lord added a great number daily to those that were being saved. So now we got all these people in the church, and they have outgrown these disciples and what they could handle. So they had to raise up leaders in the church. And one of the things that came up that was an issue in the church was they didn't know how to distribute the food. They couldn't figure out how to get the food to the women and everybody else. So they had to raise up people, lay people in the church to begin taking those roles. So Stephen was one of those guys that was raised up. And what did he do? He waited on tables. He did what God called him to do. They raised him up to wait on tables. And if we go back to Acts, he continued to serve God's people, and they began to grow because he was spending fellowship and intimate time with God. They said that Stephen was a man whose face shone like an angel. And I wonder why, because that man had been spending intimate time with God. And if I can relate that back to us, maybe there are some of you here that are, maybe you're discouraged. Like, hey, I, I got to serve kids and change babies' diapers. Well, I want to tell you something. You are serving God's kingdom well. So a parent can sit in church here and be able to hear the message of the gospel and not have their kids distract them from what God's trying to show them. Or maybe you are here wearing a blue shirt and you're out in the parking lot wondering how can just shaking someone's hand just, uh, just lead them to Christ. But I'm here to tell you that the sermon don't start up here on stage. The sermon starts out there in that parking lot. And when you shake those people's hands, you don't know what they're going through. Let me tell you something, that handshake or a hug might, commit that, might prevent that person from committing suicide. You never know. Just looking for a loving hand. I remember the day, man, when me and Buck was setting up and we went to go set up the youth space and we had this homeless guy come walking down the street. And man, what a beautiful time it was. And it was, believe it's God, divine intervention for this guy. And I asked him, I said, he says, hey, brothers. He said, today is my birthday. Can you tell me happy birthday? I said, hey, man, happy birthday, brother. I said, well, come on to me then. I said, what can we be praying for you for? And he said, he named off everybody in his family. Legitly, he walked from, from great-grandparents, kids, all these people. He said, I need you to pray for all of them. He said, but I want you to specifically pray that I have kids, and I'm their father, and my kids won't even drive here. They got nice cars, and they won't come see their daddy. He said, can you pray for my family? And me and Buck just simply laid hands on this man, and we prayed for him. And as we got done praying, that man said, thank you, Jesus. And he walked down towards downtown Dublin, and he was singing praises to God. And I heard Jesus' name echoing down the streets of Dublin, Georgia. And I can only imagine when Jesus was healing those people back in the day, I guarantee you that's the same voice they lifted up when they walked off as Jesus would have healed the blind. We should be truly about people that should be wanting to seek and save the lost, just like Jesus Christ did. So sometimes maybe you're just shaking, being in that parking lot, somebody's going to walk up to you, and you need to be the one to love on them and reach them right there they are. But why do we serve, church? 
Why do we, he didn't come, why do we give our lives to this service of the church? And I believe because Jesus first served us. He didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. I've heard a pastor say before, if service is beneath you, leadership is beyond you. If service is beneath you, leadership is beyond you. We must serve, church. Why? Because our Savior did it for us. If you want to know the studs that are in Connection Church Dublin, those are the ones wearing these t-shirts, leading the people in worship, and serving you guys. These are the studs in Connection Church. Well, let's get back on track. I'm getting on a rabbit trail. Let's go back to the book of Acts. So Stephen continued, he continued to serve God's people. The religious elites in that time, they began to give him opposition. They began to want to, they began to give him, to persecute him. So what they did was they seized him. And, when, and they brought him before the Sanhedrin. And Acts 6.15 says that he had the face of the appearance of an angel because that's somebody that had been spending time with God. But the other side of that is, is as he was facing those accusations, they asked him, are these things true? This man gave him a history lesson. Preaching the scriptures that they should have known. See, they had head knowledge, but they didn't have heart transformation. And there are many people in the church today that know who Jesus is, but you don't know if he lives inside of you. And the thing about that is, is it's awesome that you're here because today at the end of this sermon, you will have an opportunity to respond to the message of the gospel. But this man walked them through the Old Testament, and he proved to them they misunderstood Jesus. They misunderstood what was even being taught. So therefore, they misunderstood Jesus. And I wish I could read you this speech for time purposes. But after he got done preaching that speech... It says they were infuriated with him to the point that they stoned this man. And as they took off their robes, they, led, they laid their robes at the feet of a man named Saul who approved of the, the first Christian martyr. And all you guys know who Saul was in the Bible right then. He was the one that Paul would meet on the road to Damascus and God would change his life in his course of eternity. And he would go on and be the greatest missionary that the church would ever see. But I want you to put yourself in Stephen's shoes. He, preaching a good, he was preaching the good news of Jesus. And they produced a false witness against him. And after he was seized, he wasn't begging. This man was preaching. Hmm, this is good. He didn't apologize for offending somebody. He didn't, want to, he didn't apologize for hurting somebody's feelings. At one point in that message, he told them, you were stiff-necked. Talk about how bold that is. And they were so mad at him by him being bold enough to proclaim the gospel, they stoned him. But I'm here to ask you today, will you be bold? Will you be bold in your workplaces that you're not scared of that you're going to offend your neighbor, but you because you love him and you know his attorney may be separated from God for all of eternity, that will drive you to know, to teach him about the man that is Jesus Christ. Will we be bold, church? So I want you to understand that after Stephen was stoned, the persecution rang out among the early church. And as it ran out, it said that ordinary, it didn't, the Bible didn't even name names. Ordinary believers, they said they scattered and they preached the gospel everywhere they went. And I can only imagine that these people probably knew this power that was living inside of them, and they heard a city down the road named Antioch. And Antioch was a city, the Bible says Antioch was a city that was very, very wicked. And they probably said, well, I know my God, and I know these people need Jesus, so I'm going to go take this gospel and probably boldly proclaim it in Antioch, and let's see what happened. And I believe that's what they did. They knew the power of the gospel to transform it. And when I think of the Great Commission to go and make disciples of the nations, that sounds all great and all, but how do you actually do it? You can't pull a, a nation into your living room. No, you got to go and you got to plant a church in it. You have to go and plant a church, church. And these ordinary believers, they were empowered by something that I believe we all need to understand. That you have a power living inside of you that's far greater than you could ever even imagine. And it's God's Holy Spirit. And that's what, that's what fueled the early church. Connection Church, if a church is healthy, the church in a lot of ways will be a disciple-making factory. 
as it gathers and organizes disciples to be trained, we must then train, equip, and send them out. Send them out to plant connect groups. Send them out into their workplaces, into their school systems to go and share the good news that we've been learning all about. The Great Commission, you want to know how it's going to be accomplished? It's going to be accomplished through planting churches locally. Brothers and sisters, I think if people's lives, think of the people's lives. If you are in here today and Connection Church has changed your life, would you raise your hand? I want every one of you to look around and see the hands that are raised in the sky and see that because of this church plant, look at the lives that was transformed, mine being one of them, because I had a leader that was fearless and took me into a Chick-fil-A and began to read the Bible with me. But what if we begin to do the same thing with everybody else? Because of one man who had a vision from God to go plant a church, it wasn't even from here. He came from Connection Vidalia. They said, man, what happened if we plant a church in, Connect- in Dublin called Connection Church Dublin? I don't know what happened, but I see, think people would get saved. And I believe that's exactly what's been happening. And thank God for that man being obedient and not being disobedient to what God gave him. Because would my life be transformed? Would you guys be transformed? Would we even have this theater here for one man being obedient to say yes to Jesus and, and make himself available to him? Step away from a good paying job or assistant principal to say, no, I want to pre- preach. I want to teach. I want to lead God's people. And that's what he did. Amen. Amen. That's something that's worth celebrating right there, ain't it? Amen. Let's go back to Acts 11, verse 22. It says, Now news of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. It says, When he arrived and saw the grace that God had done, it said, He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. It said, He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Church, what had happened in Antioch was revival had broken out. And, it, and the news of this revival had spread all the way back to Jerusalem. So Jerusalem couldn't believe it. It was like, man, that church in Antioch, that place, Antioch's horrible. I can't believe there's a church. So Barnabas, well, go down there and check out and see what's going on down there. So Barnabas would have went to the city, and he saw what was going on. And he got so encouraged, and he was so shocked and fired up. He had to go and get somebody else. I mean, I got to tell somebody this thing that's happened in Antioch. So who the first person he go get? He went, the Bible says in verse 25, it says, Then Barnabas went to Sarsus to look for Saul. Amen. It says, And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. This is big. (laughs) The first time we see Christians in the Bible was mentioned in the church in Antioch. Why? Because I believe they were doing the thing that God sent them to do, to seek and save the lost, look just like their Savior. Why are they called little Christians? Why? Because they look like Christ. That was their leader. Mm. Seeking and saving the lost. And that leads me into point number two. Let me tell you something about Antioch. Antioch was a church plant, and now, guess what else Antioch was? The Bible says Antioch was a multi-ethnic church been struggling with that all week. It was a multi-ethnic church. <laughs> in verse 1, it says, now in the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. You had Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manon who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. I want to tell you some connection, church. The church in Antioch was a multi-ethical church, multi-ethnic church. I messed it up again. So let's look back at who were the leaders in the church here. There were leaders. You had Saul, who was a Greek-speaking Jew. You had Barnabas, who was a Jew from Jerusalem. Then you had Simon called Niger. The boy's nickname was Black, so he was a black man. And then you had Lucius, who was from Cyrene. If you know anything about, about Cyrene, it's in northern Africa. 
So if he wasn't black, I know he wasn't white, so he probably was pretty dark like my own kids. So they had a multi-ethnic church. <laughs> so they truly had a multi-ethnic church, church. And what I believe is that it is this factor alone that made that church so powerful. And, they were, and I, I think they made it powerful because they were bringing God the greatest glory. All right? The greatest glory. And may you be sitting here saying, AJ, what is the greatest glory that you're talking about? Because I want you to understand something. We exist to know God and make him known. Enjoy his grace, extend his glory. But I think sometimes in church we forget, what does that word glory even mean? We ought to glorify God, glorify God, glorify God. I hear it so much, but what does it mean to give God glory? And I love breaking this word down into, into a language that a student can hear or a language that, a, that an elementary student can hear. And I tell them it's simply, to glorify God means to live in a way that makes God famous. Live in a way that makes God famous. So in your workplaces, are you glorifying God? Are you living in a way that makes him famous? When you're around your friends and your parents ain't around, are you still living in a way that makes God famous? When you're hanging with your boys and y'all go to the restaurant, are you still living in a way that makes God famous? When you're at home alone looking at your phone, are you still living in a way that makes God famous? Come on, church, can I preach a little bit? So we exist to give God the greatest glory. Let's talk about that word, greatest glory. If I had a church full of middle-class white folk and, I, and they was preaching the gospel in spirit and in truth and worshiping God, would they be giving God glory? Yes, they would. If I had a black church that was worshiping God in spirit and truth and singing praises to God, would they be bringing him glory? Yes, they would. But what if I took both of those groups and put them in the same room and began to worship God? Then I believe we'd be giving God the greatest glory. I got to go a step further. What if we took every nation, every nation that's represented in Dublin, Georgia, and we got them in this theater, and we begin to worship God? I believe then we'll be giving him the greatest glory. Mm. Can you imagine, church, the creator of the universe? That makes me cry. The creator of the universe that created each and every one of you, got each one of his people groups that he created, each one of them beautiful. The Bible says in, in Psalms 139 that he knit us together in a mother's womb. He said that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, everyone that he made, worshiping God at the throne from every nation, tribe, language, and tongue in eternity. Can you imagine how beautiful that picture would be? But why do we have to wait to get to heaven to see that? We can do it right here, right now. I remember going to, I got two examples with this. I remember going to Engage Global my first time. And the first thing they did when we went there, the last day we were there, we went to a church. It was truly a multi-ethnic church. And not just blacks and whites, but they had people from Swahili, people from China, all represented in that church. And one thing they would do is they sung worship, is that they would sing a line of the song in every language that was represented in church. And it was the most beautiful sound I ever heard. You, had, you sung it in Swahili. They didn't understand what they were saying, but it sounded good. They sung it in Chinese. They said, ja, ja, bing, ja, 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 ho, ho. I know it sounded good, though. And then I had my African brothers up in the corner. They were merely whopping in the corner to the song. And I said, man, that is beautiful. And then another place I see this happening is in our youth ministry. We've seen people that come from nothing, that nobody in this community even cares about coming to our youth ministry. And they love to be there. Their parents don't come to this church, so nobody's forcing them. But they come back every week. Every Sunday night, I get a message. Hey, AJ, what time the van leaving? And they will blow my phone up. What time that van leaving? What time that van leaving? Because they know there is some hope over there in that building over there. 
And then you got others that come from the top of that tax bracket in this community. They all meet there in the middle and they worshiping God together. Blacks, whites. We had an Indian brother that got baptized behind the market last year because he didn't want his mama to know because she knew he was a Christian. She was going to persecute him. And these guys are going and reaching those people and bringing them to our youth group. And what I love is when you come on a Wednesday night or a Sunday night and we start leading worship and they start leading us in worship and you begin to hear those voices singing out. And one of the most beautiful pictures I hear is when the band stops singing and those students are singing their hearts out in that youth ministry. And that was at that moment I call convergent space where I believe that heaven and earth are kissing at that moment. And God is, is, is filling that house with his presence and that place with his presence. It's the most beautiful thing. And you don't ever want to leave that spot. Because why? Because I believe that's just what a true picture of heaven will look like. If you want to know how scripture backs that up, let's look at Revelations 5, 9. And it'll be on the screen for you. It says, and they sang a new song. Who is the they that this Bible is talking about? It's the church. It's someone from every nation, every tribe that's around the throne. And it says that they sang a new song saying, it says, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation. Connection Church Dublin, would a lamb receive the reward of his suffering? Connection Church, if we are to be a healthy church, we must be a multi-ethnic church. Let's make sure that we are aware of our need to lay down our own preferences and embrace God's purposes for the church. I don't care what your feelings is. God's kingdom triumphs my feelings any day. Let's go on to point number three. The church in Antioch was a sending church. A sending church. Henry Martin gave an awesome quote that says, the spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions. The nearer we get to him, the more intensely missionary we must become. Mm, let, that sink, let that sink in, church. Let's read this passage and look at a church that had the spirit of missions and see what they did with it. We're going back to Acts chapter 13 right now. Verse 25, uh, 12, 25 says, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. And let's skip down to verse 2 of chapter 12, or 13. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. So now you got a multi-ethnic church worshiping the Lord, and what else are they doing? They are fasting. Something we don't talk about enough in the church, I don't believe. And then the Holy Spirit said, so while they were worshiping and they were fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. I'm going to address a myth with you guys. I hear so many times as a missions pastor, and I love talking about mission with everybody, and the first thing I hear all the time is, I'm not called to be a missionary. Mm. It's I don't feel called. I'm not called. I'm not called. I'm not called. But I want to tell you something about that word called. We're going to do a little, a little Greek st a word study, right? The word call in the Greek translates to a word called kaleo. And I think this term is often abused because every time we see calling in the Bible, people are always confused with that, that God is calling us into full-time ministry or full-time Christian service. And though some of that may be true, most of it is a lie. And it's that lie that keeps us from going to the nations that are hurting and like sheep abused without a shepherd. So I hear people say all the time, why do I need to go overseas when there are lost people right across the street? I said, well, the lost people across the street have access to the gospel while someone in the Himalayan mountains doesn't have nothing. 
not a Bible track, not a missionary, not nothing. So why are we not trying to go see these people to tell them the good news of Jesus so their eternity won't be separated from God for all of eternity? But in every sense of the Bible, we see this word kaleo, which is calling. It's usually speaking about being called into a relationship with Jesus. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us to my relationship by his own glory and goodness. 2 Peter 1.10 goes, goes even further and says, Therefore, brothers, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. And for somebody like me who needs something dumbed down to him, what they're saying is, make sure you know that you're safe. Make sure you know that Jesus Christ lives inside of you. So as the message of the gospel is being preached today, and every head bowed and every eye closed, if you have any bounce of hope that you don't know Jesus, how about you make sure today that you know him? Make sure today that your eternity is secure. That you know when you stand before your Savior that your debt has been paid. God, I know there are many, many, many in churches all around that are sitting in seats that when they get to heaven, he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. So make sure you know that you are a Christian today, church. But I believe when people say that, well, there's one passage in the Bible he's calling people in a full-time service, and they always use this passage right here. They say, well, look, the Holy Spirit called them and then sent them, in a, sent them somewhere else. Well, yeah, that may be true, but I want you to understand something. Because it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. So that is talking about calling the service. So, AJ, what are you saying right now? I want you to go back up to verse 25. It says, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. How many of you guys, you old folks in here, ever drove a car with no power steering in it? <laughs> I hear you laughing now. If that sucker's sitting still, how hard is it to turn that sucker? But what happened if that baby's rolling downhill? It'll turn like smooth butter then, don't it? I believe the same things with the Christians in the Christian life. God gave you a command, and he want to see you doing it. So why is he going to call you to go somewhere else if you're not doing the last thing he told you to do? Church, we got to be, we got to be people that are surrendered to him. We got to be people that understand the context of what God is trying to teach us in Scripture and understand the Holy Spirit is living inside of us, and it wants to work in and through us. But God wants to see us doing something here, because if I can't trust you to plant a church here, how am I going to trust you to plant a church over there? If I hadn't seen you teach elementary school kids in here in our, in, in, our, in our KK ministry, how can I trust you to lead a small group in your own home? Come on, that'll preach right there, won't it, church? God's calling us to move, and we got to be a people that are moving, church. But I want you to understand something. In this passage, Saul and Barnabas were already on the mission field doing what God had told them to do. And as they were doing that, God gave them a better sense of where he wanted them to go. If you say you seek God... If you say you know him, if you say his Holy Spirit lives inside of you, you will live missionally. Acts 1.8, great scripture everybody knows. It says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit falls upon you, and then you will be my what? You will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So if you, got, if you tell me you got the Holy Spirit, but yet you're not telling anybody our question whether you know Jesus or not. I know it's a little harsh. And while we're here, most Christians that are usually waiting for a call from God are usually in their hometowns. God wants to see us moving. God doesn't steer parked cars, church. He calls you to carry your cross, not sit on your couch. He calls to go do something, church. J.D. Weir said one of the best quotes I ever, best 
quotes, let me get it out, I've ever heard. It says, the danger of the church in every age is to cease being a movement of people moving and instead a place to provide ministry services to people. Or worse, a place where people begin to attend. The most important thing about movements is that they move. And if you aren't moving, then perhaps you aren't part of the movement, no matter how many times you come to the place. Mm. Church, we got to move. And I'm not just talking internationally. I'm talking locally as well. But what I'm saying is, if we aren't being a church locally here, we won't have anybody to send over there. So if you're in here today and God's calling you to a next step, what next step is he calling you to take? For some of you, maybe your next step may be to make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life and make sure you know that you're saved. For some of you, you maybe you are saved, but you're still searching for purpose. Well, I'm telling you right now, this is the purpose you created. Know God, make him known. I just think of the, the, the Olympian Michael Phelps. And Tom Brady, I saw in an interview, who's run, Tom Brady's running out of fingers to even put Super Bowl rings on. You would think he was the greatest man in history, wouldn't you, in the world sense? And in the interview, he said he has all these things, and one of the things he said was, I think there's something more. I'm still looking for purpose. And I hear that so many times in that rich community that people are so many looking for purpose. And I, said, I just want to tell him, I just want to scream at my TV, he's like, bro, you need Jesus. If you just give your life to Jesus, you're never going to be enough. Those rings are not going to satisfy you. That high tax packet job you got ain't going to satisfy you. No, that's going to satisfy you. What's going to satisfy you is, is have you got on your knees and give your life to a holy Savior. That's what's going to satisfy you. <laughs> Let me tell you, church, Jesus gives us a purpose, and he wants you on his team. He wants you on his team, not on the sideline, but he wants you in the game. He's got something to do in and through you. Each one of you, if I, if I even preach this sermon, there's probably somebody that points that, that pops into your mind that needs to hear a sermon like this, or somebody that pops into your mind that you know need to hear the gospel. If you know who that person is, why don't you go out there and get them? What is stopping us? Because God placed them on your heart and you don't go. Maybe hell might be on them, might be on us because they don't, you didn't go and get them. So we have to go and get them, church. Let's talk about some barriers that keeps us from living sent. We are a sending church. We're about sending people out. But what are some barriers that would begin to keep us from living sin? Number one barrier I think that keeps us from living sin is the barrier of sin. Many Christians won't go church. Many Christians won't share their faith. Or they, they won't do anything because they're living in unrepentant sin. It's the sin that you're living in that keeps you from making an impact on the kingdom of God. If, you're, if you think you've reached a plateau in your faith, maybe that's because there's some unrepentant sin that you're living in. So I pray that you would ask God to reveal to you what is the sin is that I'm stuck in that will, that will keep me from following him or keep me from making an impact on the kingdom. For example, maybe some of you are having sex before marriage. That's, that's sinful. That's unrepentant sin. Maybe you're looking at things on your phone that night before you go to bed. That's unrepentant sin. You need to repent. Maybe you're, living with your spouse. maybe you're living with your person that's not your spouse. That's living in unrepentant sin. And maybe you won't begin to grow because you haven't truly given your life fully to God yet. And listen, I want to tell you something. Satan will use those secret sin that you're living in to keep you from making an impact on the kingdom of God. That's why James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So maybe you're here today and you feel like you're stuck. At the end of the service, there's going to be a time of response. As long as there's breath in your young lungs, would you use it to repent to God and allow him to bring him back to yourself, himself? The second barrier, I believe, is the barrier of stuff. And many people, I feel like, won't follow Jesus because they fear the stuff that they may lose. That means material possessions, relationships, popularity, family, you name it. I know many people overseas that are scared to come to faith in Christ because they know their family's going to disown them. That's why the church has to be the church and be their new family. 
many of us are too busy worshiping created things than worshiping the creator. Not saying those created things are bad, but if you make those, those good things, God things, then it's an idol in your life and it's separating you from your creator. I want to tell you something. We're so busy, and, I'm, and this is speaking to myself. I want to get all these things to fill my life with all these places so I can be comfortable in my den. Like I said, Jesus called you to carry your cross, not sit on your couch. Comfort and obedience don't go together. They clash. We got to be obedient to what the God of the, of the universe is called to do. Church, we got to move. And the last barrier I believe that keeps us from living sin will be the barrier of satisfaction. It's this last barrier, I believe, that keeps many people from being sent. The barrier of satisfaction. And these people may be doing a little kingdom work. Maybe they beat drums on a Sunday. Maybe they, uh, they, they, they tape out wires on a Sunday morning before church. They think, well, God, I'm doing enough. I'm good. Now, I'm here to tell you something. The task ain't finished yet because Jesus ain't came back yet, so we know we still got a task we got to do. Don't be satisfied and get sitting, satisfied with being comfortable. No, we got to move, church. We got to move. That leads me to point number four. A church that's well sent, they will send their best. We see it in this passage. A church that's well sent will send their best. Verse two says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. Saul that came in, began to help raise up leaders and disciple this church, and now look what they're doing. They're taking their best leader and then sending them off. That's like equivalent to me saying, hey, Buck, hey, bro, job well done. There's a place over here, it ain't done yet. I need you to go and do the same thing you did here in a place over there. That'll be hard to hear, but hey, but the, God, the kingdom of God triumphs my feelings and we ought to see the task being finished because this man came from another community and got planted here and raised up a church, raised up elders, raised up connect group leaders, and now we're a thriving church. People are getting saved. People are coming every single day, coming to know who Jesus is, but now there are people there that doesn't know. What happened if we would have sent him off? I'm going to read a passage from a book called God's Bottom Line, which is if anybody knows me, I'm going to talk about this book. This book has really shaped me in my faith. I want to show you what one small church did in this, in this book. I'm going to read it just like this. It says, let me tell you how one small church in Temp, Arizona, applied this idea of sending laborers into the mission field. It says, as a senior pastor and staff saw God's heart to reach the nations and scriptures, they decided to prayerfully consider planting a church in Turkey. Upon feeling they had heard from the Lord, they did something radically different. It says, through much prayer, the elders sat down 12 couples they felt could handle being overseas and part of a church planning team among Muslims. It says, they challenged these members to their church saying, we'd like you to prayerfully consider being sent or being part of a team to go to Turkey and work with planning a daughter church there. However, how did some of them respond? It says, oh, we don't feel called. And the elders responded. He said, that's okay. This is your call. And the difference is obvious. Instead of waiting for couples to raise their hands and say, we feel called, the church leaders took initiative. This is they saw couples they felt were mature enough to be part of a team and sat them down and told them to pray about it. They did not wait. He said, what was the result? It says four couples felt the Lord speak to them about being a part of the team, and the team was formed and launched entirely from one church of 600 people. He said, if you or an elder, or in leadership in a church, and you have a God-given responsibility to lead your flock. And for some of them, it may mean kicking them out against their will. And one final note about this passage, Matthew 9, verse 37 through 38, is not an option. It says, God is commanding you and me to beg him through prayer to kick Christians out into the harvest field, even if it's against their will. And as you and I pray that, the, that, as you and I pray that prayer on a regular basis, one day we may realize, oh my goodness, it's against my will, and maybe I should be the one going. Tell me, church, that's powerful, ain't it? 
Instead of being reactive and waiting for somebody to say, I feel called, I feel called, how about we go out and we find people? We go out and we disciple and we give our church a global vision. A global vision for what God is trying to do through all of us, through this church, through the Connection Network. And I believe it's because of that global vision is why we're sending people to Northern Africa to plant a church. Among people who don't know Jesus Christ yet. We're sending people to Indonesia for people that don't know Jesus Christ yet. Church, we got to go. We got to move. We got to live sent. And Connection Church, as we grow, as I can start to finish up here, we send people out rather than keep them to ourselves. And I think the people that don't really last in our church is the ones that don't want to move. And they're going to be challenging. Every service, we challenge our members to go, to go, to go, to take your next step. It's not about taking a million steps. It's about taking your next one is what we always say. We should be launching missionaries out into the field. This life should be, an air, this life should be like an aircraft carrier, not a cruise ship. As we go and we battle, we land on that aircraft carrier and we get fueled up for the mission. Then we take back off and we go and we battle for the kingdom of God. That's what this church should be. We should be going to the ends of the earth. Why? Because that's what our Savior commanded us to do. In Connection Church, I know today's sermon has been a lot of information, but I want to remind you what we've learned so far. What was Antioch? Antioch was a church plant. Antioch was a multi-ethnic church. Antioch was a sending church. And lastly, Antioch sent their best. So as we preach this message and we talk through those points, what are we to do, Connection Church? I want you to understand that every single one of you here will create it for a time such as this. I don't care how old you are. If you got breath in your lungs, God's got a task for you. We are sent into this community to evangelize this community. And evangelism, let me tell you about that word evangelism. It's a big Christian term. It's doing normal everyday life with gospel intentionality. Evangelism, I want to tell you something, church. Evangelism is almost always uncomfortable, but I want you to let you know it is always worth it. When you see someone's eternity changed, it's worth it. When I'm preaching that message to students and I see a kid raise his hand, and I know that his family from generation to generation has been impacted because of his one act of obedience, it's always worth it. Let me tell you something, church. It's worth rethinking where you work. <laughs> I, had to, I had to come to that reality myself leaving the VA. Benefits to no benefits, but God was always better. It's worth rethinking where you live. As our missionaries we support, they have left everything and sold everything to go and say, God, your kingdom is better than anything I can have on this earth, and I want to follow you. Church, Charles Spurgeon said something like this. It says, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Charles Spurgeon Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. When the Spirit of God fills your heart, church, the Word of God comes out. I don't care how good you live it, you still got to open your mouth and you still got to speak it. We all have to speak it. The God that created you will give you the words to say. That's the beautiful thing about the Great Commission. He said at the very end, he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Word of God will spill out your mouth. This is good news, but it's only good news if it gets to somebody in time, church. The Spirit of God, I want to let you know something. The Spirit of God is always at work in the people around you. And then he uses you to speak the word of God. I can remember just this past week, God had done all the work for me, and all I was to do was make myself available, and God used it. Everything that this guy was saying to me was stuff that God had already put on his heart. All I had to do was make myself available to him, and that's it. And when we got done, he says, AJ, I need to make a decision. I need to make a decision today. I said, brother, amen, let's go. I challenge every single one of you here. There are people just like that all around you that God's preparing, and he's using you. Don't let, God not have to have, don't let God have to raise somebody else up to do the job that you were told to do. 
Do not let God have to raise up someone else to do the job you were told to do. Do not have God to raise another church up in this community to do the job that he told us to do. As I call the band back on stage, we're going to finish up right now. I feel like I need to pray just by preaching this message because this message preached to me so much, church. Maybe you were here today and, and this idea is ringing in your head. Why do we sin? You've heard, AJ, you keep saying we sin, we must move, but why do we do it? I want you to know why, you, why we sin because our God is a sender. <laughs> and you know what he did? He sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for you. So maybe you were here today and you were wondering, what are your next steps? For some, you, you got to understand something. You can't tell someone about Jesus if you don't know him yet. If you don't know him, you can't go and tell somebody about him. So today is the day that God, if, if you sit in these seats, that's God's grace for you to be here to hear this message. Maybe you know of Jesus. Maybe you have head knowledge, but you lack that heart transformation like the Sanhedrin that, that persecuted my man Stephen. You know your Lord. You're walking around here with a question mark on your head, but today that question mark can be an exclamation point, and you can know your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ today. Do not leave here without knowing who he is. You've been searching for fulfillment for so long. I'm here to tell you, fulfillment's found in a relationship with Jesus. I always talk about that every Christian is born with a God-sized hole in their heart, and it's almost like that little game where the kids put the, the triangle and the square and the circle in this little spot. But then every one of us as believers has a God-sized hole in our heart. And until you put God in that God-sized hole, you won't ever find fulfillment. So if today, if that's you today, we're going to ask you to respond. Would you be bold? And you want to know the good news of the gospel. Everybody bow your heads with every head bowed, every eyes closed. The good news of the gospel, it's only good news if you understand the bad part, which is that you were born into sin. It's a sin that separates you from God, a holy God. That, and that sin that separates you from God, it sets you up for eternity that's separated from him in a place called hell. But the Bible says God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ when we were dead in our sin. In your faith in him, and he sent his son Jesus to die for you. And how do you respond to that message? You respond by placing your faith in him and making him the Lord and Savior of your life and repent and turn from your sin. I'm going to ask you, we've been talking about boldness today. If that's you here today and you want to make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life and you want to know who he is, who it is as a man, that is Jesus, would you lift your hand? If you want to make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life today, would you raise your hand? But for the rest of us, maybe you're in here and you're living in unrepentant sin. I'm asking God, I'm, God is asking you to come down and repent to him. If you're living in some type of situation that you know is not pleasing to God, I pray that you repent and you turn from it. Come down here and find a leader in this church or somebody that's wearing a connection shirt and say, hey, will you pray for me? This is what I'm struggling with. I'm going to tell you something. God is watching and God loves you. And he wants to be in a loving relationship with you. And for the rest of us, just like the church in Antioch, we too are to be a church that is well sent. And if it's God is calling you to plant a small group, I say go and do it. If he's pushing you to disciple a friend, hey, go and do it. If he's pushing you to invite that one person to church, hey, what's stopping you? Let's go and let's do it. The Bible says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, church. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you, God. God, I just thank you for who you are, God, and what you're doing in and through us, God. God, I pray that as this message was preached today, God, that it was set deep into the hearts of our people. God, that we will be a people that are moving, God. Not people that are comfortable on our couch, but God, are people that are moving. Are people that are constantly searching for those who are lost. God, may that purpose that you had for us, God, may that be on the forefront of our minds in everything we do, God, and that we will be a church that's well sent. That's well sent, Father God.
God, just thank you for today, God. I just give you all honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Connection Church Dublin Sermon Podcast. We pray that this message stirred your affections for Jesus. We would love for you to subscribe to the podcast and share it with others. For more information about our church and other resources, please visit ConnectionDublin.com.